hockey fans, welcome to Across the Pond, Hong Kong's first and only hockey podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ivany, and I'm coming at you again today from the cozy confines of my living room. We're back on lockdown here in Hong Kong. Uh, schools are closed. Um, we have a fourth wave of coronavirus hitting the city right now. And uh, yeah, just stay safe out there, everyone. Do everything you can to help uh, break this uh, this curve that we're, we're having right now. And yeah, hang in there. Um, looks like we're going to be back at home for a little while. Hopefully we'll have lots of time for some great interviews. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to tonight's guest. Before we do that, tonight's CIHL update is brought to you by our newest and title sponsor of the podcast, the China Hockey Group. Tonight's program is brought to you by the China Hockey Group. The CHG is a family-focused group of ice hockey leagues, training programs, and community initiatives. They focus on the growth of hockey in Hong Kong and southern China, as well as the development of student-athletes, where sporting goals are achieved alongside educational pursuits. The CHG is comprised of a number of hockey programs. Established in 2011, the CIHL is Hong Kong's elite adult hockey league. The Junior Tigers program is Hong Kong's premier youth hockey organization, featuring the Scotia Bank Island League and Learn to Play and Learn to Skate programs. The SCIHL is an adult league for those seeking a more recreational experience. In addition, the CHG showroom is the exclusive reseller of Bauer Warrior hockey equipment and offers services including skate sharpening and fittings. For more information and links to their social media sites, go visit ChinaHockeyGroup.com. That's ChinaHockeyGroup.com. This past week in the CIHL, there was only one game on the slate which saw the Kowloon Warriors skate away with a 5-4 victory over the Hong Kong Tycoons. The Tycoons staged a late comeback thanks to two goals from Matthew Nuttall, but couldn't find a way to get the equalizer past Ashley Bach. Bradley Wilson was the first star with a goal and an assist for the Warriors. Ashley Bach was the second star with 25 saves, and Tycoons goalie Emerson Kung was the third star with a solid 32-save performance. Unfortunately, this will be the last game played for a while. Due to new restrictions put into place by the Hong Kong government, Hockey will be postponed until further notice. So yeah, that's the bad news, folks. Uh, hopefully uh, things will get back as uh, soon as possible, um, hopefully uh, as early as January. Tonight's interview is brought to you by AccessoryHouseGlobal.com. Are your headphones falling apart? Or does your cable do that annoying thing where it only plays sound from one ear? Then maybe it's time for an upgrade. Accessory House Global is your one-stop shop for premium headphone accessories. They specialize in ear pads, headbands, carrying cases, and audio cables. Whether you have Bose, Sony, Sennheiser, Beats, Fostex, Denon, or even a set of high-end focal headphones, they've got you covered. All across the pond, hockey podcast listeners get 20% off their first purchase. Use the code AHG20OFF at the checkout and boom, you're sorted. 
You can check them out on YouTube or at the Real AHG on Instagram. Check out their website at accessoryhouseglobal.com and take your first step to reviving your audio experience. All right, folks, my guest today grew up in the small Canadian town of Sparwood, British Columbia. He began playing hockey at an early age and went all the way to playing seven years of professional hockey in the WCHL and IHL. He's the co-founder of Apna Hockey, player, captain, and organizer of the Team India Ball Hockey Club, and just this year was awarded the Willie O'Ree Community Hero Award as part of the 2020 NHL Awards. Please welcome to Across the Pond, Mr. Dampy Brar. How are you, Dampy? Very good, Chris. Thank you for the introduction. I uh, appreciate uh, you bringing me on, and uh, I wish you all the best with your future podcasts. Thank you, my friend. And uh, I guess right off the top, we should thank Pablo uh, Navarro. Is that how you say his last name? For uh, I believe- And Mr. Dom mm-hmm. Brown for helping set this up for me. Yeah, yeah. Pablo and I uh, talked a few times, and... Uh, and uh, really wants to highlight Apna Hockey helping out with his program. So, mm-hmm. and uh, then he asks, he goes, "I got a, a weird question," and I'm like, "Uh oh." <laughs> and he goes, "Can can you go on a podcast?" I'm like, "That's what I've been doing since <laughs> July, almost if, yeah. if not further." Uh, but uh, interviews or radio interviews to podcasts to uh, you know uh, podcast uh, webcasts and all that. So. Yeah. I said, that's not weird at all. Um, I was uh, actually hoping you would direct me towards a podcast because I was getting kind of bored. So. Oh, well, there you go. Well, I'm going to take yeah. as much time as I can. So I, don't want you, I don't want you being bored. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> all right. So to get things started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, um, your family, uh, your parents moving to Canada and uh, growing up in Sparwood, British Columbia? Absolutely. Uh, my parents, uh, my dad was the first one out of our family to to move to Canada he moved in 1972 uh, basically came here at uh, from advice from other people that are from the same region of India that he was from saying that hey you know if you want to make a life in Canada you know come down here it's worth a try and my dad was the youngest had a four four siblings and they basically my dad's older brother was the king of the house and he said well you go there but you better not fail you better not come back <laughs> and um and, hit, and my dad's older brother is a big giant. He was a, he passed away now, but he was a big giant and uh, he was the king of the family. And uh, my dad goes, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll make it, I'll, I'll go there. And so I, I came down here for a couple of years uh, in Canada, lived in Winnipeg area, DePauw, Manitoba, Port Alberni. And then it was, we were, they were just settling into somewhere in BC. And then he went back to India and married my mom and she came down. And then they ended up in Sparwood, British Columbia. And that's where my dad became a coal miner. And uh, that's all he basically did his whole life was uh, work in the open pit coal mine in Sparwood and, uh, and raised a family of two boys and, uh, and, uh, and then uh, eventually put me in hockey. So That's incredible. What a great story. I mean, I'm from Cape Breton and we have uh, a lot of coal mines and I know that the industry a little bit and I know how, how much, how difficult it is and the hard work that goes into being a miner. So um, your dad must have been a, a very, very hard worker to uh, been able to do that and raise you guys and at the same time and spend some time in the rinks. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, working, I think they're, uh, I think I was about eight years old when they shipped the, the uh, they added the uh, 12 hour shifts. So they were eight hour shifts. Uh, and then there were 12 hour shifts, two days, two nights. And, uh, how he juggled, uh, um, it was, it was easier in a small town to juggle, uh, 
working in a coal mine 12 hours uh, and having uh, their sons. Both my brother and I played hockey. My brother only played for three years of minor hockey, and then he shut it down. But I, to, to the level I got to to play and, and, and the different teams I played for, uh, um, you know, it, 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 there was a lot of uh, friends help, other family friends that, yes, always. that would drive me to hockey and stuff where my mm-hmm. dad couldn't do it. I was fortunate enough to have that opportunity, and but uh, for them to um, just to put me in hockey was is quite the story. Yeah. So how did that happen? Your parents, obviously, uh, well, not obviously, but your parents were born in India, both of them. Um, right. How did did they have a an appreciation for the sport, or was it more like the community and your friends that introduced you to the game? That's basically it. Yeah, my parents were big fans of. And uh, in Calgary, uh, we got Calgary Calgary channels in Sparwood because Calgary and Sparwood, even though Sparwood's in BC, mm-hmm. where it's right by the border, it's only two and a half, three hours away. Okay. They love stamp, stampede wrestling. And um, some people have heard of Ed Whelan, and, and he used mm-hmm. to be the, the announcer. And so my parents loved the WWE, the fake wrestling, the entertainment wrestling. That was their favorite sport when they came to Canada. Um, and uh, when they moved to Sparwood, there's a, there, we had about 60, 65 families in that town. And I was lucky enough that there was older kids in the East Indian kids that were playing hockey that were five to six years older than me. And so when they were playing hockey and then there was a bunch of kids that were a year, two years older than me that were playing hockey. So a lot of parents were like, hey, why don't you put your kid in hockey? It's great. You know, they, they get to learn the sport. It's interesting. It's intriguing. And my my dad's background back home was playing volleyball, not the normal type of volleyball like bumps that spike, but mm-hmm. uh, a different type of Indian uh, volleyball. And he also played a kabaddi, which is um, kind of a, a different game and very popular now in 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 Africa and the Middle East and and obviously in India. So he had a little history of being an athlete. So he's like, all right, I'll put my son in hockey. And uh, if you guys are putting your kids in hockey, and and you know they were influenced by other East Indian families and. Uh, and then there's all these kids that used to play road hockey in front of our house, and a lot of them are East Indian. And so my dad seen that I liked, and I would join them to play and stuff. So he's like, yeah, I'll put you in hockey. And that's how it all happened. It was just basically influenced uh, influenced by their uh, parents and, and you know, kids playing hockey. And uh, I'm very, very glad my dad took the bait and put me in the game. So. so tell me a little bit about Sparwood. Was there a lot of uh, diversity in the town? Well, we had a we had a mixture. We had actually about sixty to sixty five East Indian families, right? Okay. And they were all they're all basically from the same region of India, um, uh, Punjab, the state of Punjab, uh, right now, uh, in that area. So they they just got along. And it's when you when you talk to an Indian person that's from India, and you're like, hey, what village are you from, or what area you're from? Uh, a lot of the people that we associate with are ninety ninety five percent are from Punjab, and you probably can you probably have been hearing about the uh, the farmer situation that's going on in India right now. Yes. That's that's a, that's a state of Punjab. And a lot of the people that moved to the from the 70s, 60s and 70s mainly were from Punjab because they were farmers and they had money and that's the major major industry there for for that region of uh, India. The India's uh, 28 provinces, but the state of Punjab is like Alberta basically, prairies. Okay. And they feed up 60 to 65 to almost 70% of India, you know, the grains. The, right. That's where all the agricultural, um, the, the fields are. And uh, so a lot of the people that moved to Canada at that point, 1670s, were all farmer, uh, uh, you know, sons and daughters of uh, farmers, you know, first generation. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, we're, we, you know, obviously we're first generation in Canada, but 
but we're second generation farmers. But uh, and so that's what you know what you know the, the unity was there. So that when you asked me the question by diversity, mm-hmm. it was already there. Like okay. there was that that's that interesting. Yeah, there's a leniency of having uh, Punjabi people there, and then there was the a lot of Italians there, uh, first and second generation in Sparwood. There was the cowboys, we call them. Uh, they were there, um, you know, um, for numerous generations. And and then you got, you know, the Mormon religion. There was a lot of Mormons in, uh, in Sparwood. So there was a mixture. Um, so it wasn't just one or two families in a small town. The town was only 3,300 3, people, but there was, uh, you know, uh, a lot of East Indian people there, a lot of uh, Fijian Muslims there. Um, you know, there was there was some diversity there, and that made it easier for guys like me that mm. were, you know, the firstborn to to assimilate and to be able to hold both cultures, right? So, right. so you uh, say it made it easier, but I'm sure there must have still been a lot of difficulties. Um, are you hearing that in your background? That scratching noise? Uh, not anymore. No. Okay. Cool. Um, there, you must have dealt with a lot of things. I mean, I often wonder, like, as a young boy like yourself, um, were you even aware of racism when, when you were, you know, four, five, six years old? Was it something that you had to learn, or did your parents take time to explain to you um, things that you might be dealing with or you might have to deal with or things that maybe your dad deals with? When did that become aware to you? Or when, or when did you first become aware of that? I think it was my... Uh third year of hockey where I was uh, probably seven or eight years old is when the first time I heard like a racial slur from another player at that age. Yeah. Right. And it was the P word and he kept saying it and I wasn't sure what he was saying, but I knew from the reaction of his face, the way he was saying it, I never heard that word before. And then I can put it two and two together. And I was only eight years old. Right. Mm -hmm. So he would slash me and I'm like, he's not, not saying slash. And, He's not making any, he's not saying that I tripped him or anything. It was no hockey terms involved. Um, I think uh, that's when I, in hockey related, that's when it started for me was I was eight years old and the kid was from Elkford for BC. I, I actually can name his name, but I'm obviously not going to do that yeah. because, you know, we all grow up and, and um, you know, we're kids back then. But yeah. that's when I was like, like it kind of like, it kind of surprised me the way of, uh, you know, I scored 13 goals that game, I think. And, wow. Uh, Maybe that had to do with it, but yeah. I did. I knew that when I looked around, I, I was different. Um, how confident and how social I am now, I wasn't even close to that uh, throughout my life when I was younger. So my son has so much di- uh, dynamic character. Even my daughter, um, I wasn't wasn't even half that. I was not even quarter of that. So, uh, and I knew that I had problems with the English language because I, I spoke Punjabi at home. So my confidence, so not only there's racism there, um, you know, the start of racism, but the confidence part of being East Indian wasn't developed yet, right? It yeah. was like you felt inferior. And I, me- I remember uh, still at the age of eight, I remember a hockey mom who was one of the, uh, uh, and, and that same, uh, that's, I think it was the following year, I was nine years old, and I got moved up to play with the older boys. And uh, I remember that mom coming up to me and going, uh, you know, we're playing outside in the school. And the kid pushed me first, knocked me down, pushed me again, and gave me a little punch. So that's three. And I kind of pushed him and, and gave him a shot. And, and he went and complained to the to the uh, the teacher. And the teacher goes, oh, what happened? He's like, damping me. And she's like, oh, my God. Oh, he's like that. I watched him play hockey. And, it was, and she targeted me, and I'm like, uh, hmm. and I kind of re- right away thought 
that's not how you deal with things, right? That's right. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't say that he, I, I, all I said was like, well, actually he pushed me and hit me and she didn't even acknowledge what I said. And she's like, you have to be careful. And I know how you're like, and I've seen you play hockey and, and I played against her son. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of, uh, that's, and you know what? That's so started, disappointing, when, uh, right? Yeah, like I and I remember her saying stuff like, you know, and relating it not even to the incident that was at the school. And it wasn't even big. Nobody was bleeding, not nothing. Nobody got injured. It was just a little pushing match and stuff. And obviously that's not, you know, tolerated in schools, but it was nothing major, right? It wasn't to the point where, you know, he was, you know, holding his arm and maybe needed a sling. So, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, and that's where I started to uh, see that. And, and, and uh, but I think uh, as we moved forward, as I got a little bit older, I realized my pa- my dad was facing racism in, in the mines, right? Mm-hmm. So I remember uh, him saying that uh, he got in an altercation at work where they're shoveling coal, actually, literally shoveling coal. And, and my dad's foreman came by and, bo- and both guys were working. And the guy who complimented my dad, like, hey, good job, Ram. My dad's name is Ram. He's like, you're doing a good job. And he goes, hey, to the other guy, don't be lazy. When you work like him, and then uh, the other guy decided to, uh, when when the foreman left, put uh, two shovels full of uh, coal on my dad's feet, like inside. And my dad's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Oh," and made some couple uh, uh, comments, not about him working hard. It wasn't even a joke about his color of his skin and where he's from, right? So, and my dad, I remember my dad t- telling that story. It wasn't to me, but to somebody. And and I always had my ears open. Um, I'm I'm a good multitasker and. <laughs> And I felt really bad. I'm like, well, I can't believe he went through that. And uh, and uh, and then he had a couple other incidents. At, and uh, yeah, and that's where I've, as an older son, uh, maybe I had that pers- that maturity of not just being an older son, but just that person where I kind of sensed it. And, uh, and my dad would tell me that. He goes, if somebody says anything stupid to you, you just work harder. You don't get negative. You don't let it impact your game or your personality. You just go forward and uh I'm glad he wasn't that dad that said, "Hey, you know, screw these guys," or you yeah, know, use what a vulgar wonderful language. Message. Yeah, he was uh, more positive. He's like, "Man, I," and he, I remember him saying that. He goes, "I went through it. Don't worry, uh, you got to be tough, man." He always said, "You got to be <laughs> yeah. tough. You got to be tough." And well, he's right. And, uh, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad he was uh, the person he was. He wasn't sensitive to it because as I moved forward in hockey, all the East Indian boys dropped off. Right, they started mm-hmm. playing school sports, sports, or it was too much for their parents. And I was the lone, long, uh, last man basically standing. And, and uh, you know, when you're the last man standing and and your features are different and you look a little different and, and you're one of the better players, or if not, you're wearing a C on your jersey, you get targeted. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and, uh, and his, my dad's words became even more prevalent as I move forward. So uh, d- tell me, like, in your community compared to the world of sports, because, um, and maybe not even just your community, but, Canada in general or your experiences in general, um, I often wonder, like, there's been so many stories the last couple of years that are coming out about, you know, inequalities in hockey and the lack of diversity and, you know, stories of racism. And it, do you think there's a difference between the percentage of like racism and, and problems in the community uh, compared with the percentage of problems and, and racism that you see in the game of hockey? Or is it is it an equal all across the board? Uh, percentages wise, uh, it's hard to like, like. There's so many different facets of like discrimination, if you will, right? Yeah. So, and also works both ways. So, I'm not going to sit here and play the uh, uh, so-called brown card and say, you know, the world is against us, right? Because there's a, you know, born and you know. 
being cultured in both cultures uh, has actually helps for me to see how there is racism in in hockey and, and in the community and how there's you know some discriminations from our side as well mm-hmm. right from in hockey and in the community as well so there's both sides so percentages wise i think uh, in hockey there's you know when you look at the nhl right now just like the nhl if you look at the washington capitals roster and i've used this example if you were to paint the color brown on the roster or on a, on a written roster of every player that's not north american you'd see a lot of diversity there, yes right yep. you'd see Ovechkin, orlov mm-hmm. backstrom you would see verana kuznetsov and the reason why i use the washington capitals is because you got one of the best players Ovechkin's on there and you know and you got a swedish player orlov verana's finish and uh, and so there's about seven or eight uh, players i believe um things change obviously yeah uh, but let's say seven or eight and if you were to paint those players brown faced let's just say you would see diversity but the europeans uh look like the canadians the north americans right just by yeah. color mm-hmm. and so like a lot of times when you're dealing with young kids like you're two or three years old first thing they see is size and then color right yeah big red truck uh yeah silver you know like and the, and that's how you know we're kids at heart so you know even in our culture if you're really dark you're, it's considered inferior color right the lighter color is better right you're you're cooler and whatnot mm-hmm. right so so there is diversity in hockey and and I'm glad there's more Europeans playing and I know when Don Cherry used to make comments about Europeans in hockey a lot of the ethnic people a lot of the East Indian people would be against Don Cherry they liked how he talked that he was direct you know yeah. in certain subjects in certain topics but with topics when it came to you know Europeans in sport I think now if you if you fast forward for how Rockham's Rockham hockey yeah. to now the game has changed to European way of hockey and it's it's a game of hockey that we want our kids to play absolutely it's full of, full of IQ full of being in shape being smart strategic logistics um, it's using your brain now you can be five foot 10 155 60 well 180 pounds and still play the game right mm-hmm. absolutely you don't need yeah. it's not it's not putting guys through the boards not giving concussions it's not finishing checks every shift and getting exhausted it's not slashing and grabbing people it's the technicality of the game is there and that's what we want to and that's in real life right you can be big and strong but if you don't have a brain you're not going to go anywhere right so it's and the movement there so when when you're talking about in our community now you know there is a lot of we're only 50 years in um to canada right and north america our migration happened in mid to late 60s early 70s uh 2020 let's just say 1970 to uh, 2020 in 50 years we have specialized doctors we have lawyers we have we're in every single industry and we're talking about calgary and canada we are in every single industry sports is the next part next industry that we're going to slowly break and we are breaking it uh sorry uh breaking barriers and you got guys like me in the 70s that have born in the 70s that had play hop play pro hockey now giving back to our community on ice instruction mentorship support uh confidence for our youth um so a lot of the caucasian community is now going wow you know you guys are now more entrusted in hockey and they're having a hard time at this juncture to accept players yes 
you know, before it was like, oh, one or two players and, oh, you guys are going to be doctors anyway. And it was a stereotype. And it's a good stereotype to have yeah. like, doctors in the family. But um, that's what, uh, you know, labor workers come down. They want the kids to be successful in education, right? Yeah. And I was I was a good student. I made honor roll, but I, my parents supported me in hockey. And I was one of the, the rare breeds to be able to play the game and, and even play the game. At, and I needed to work extra hard away from the game just to be able to keep up and to exceed expectations. So, um, and then there's, um, you know, and, and I think the, our community is now, if you look at Surrey minor hockey, 60% to 70% are Punjabi hockey players, mm-hmm. male and female. Right. So, and a lot of the, the kids are from well-off families like that are doing well. And, um, you know, and I have, you know, friends that play hockey and, you know, they do well from um, their jobs and their occupations and in their employments and they're giving their kids full, full uh, support in hockey. And, and in one generation, uh, you'll see a, quite a bit of change. But, and I think that's where the racism comes in is because it's like, whoa, 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 you're taking our jobs. Now you're tr- trying to imp- 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 uh, integrate into hockey. It was too much for sometimes the Canadian people to understand that, right? Yeah. So, like the blacks, uh, you know, they went through slavery and, you know, they're prevalent in NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, um, music, acting. There's, they have their own black entertainment television, right? Mm-hmm. They, have, they have broken so many barriers in music and, um, and everything. And, um, and, but that happened over hundreds of years before that happened, right? So in our community, we're, we're about 50 years in, 60 years in. And we're already making marks in all different industries and, and sports is becoming something that people are focusing on and, and not only for them to play professionally, but also to be great individuals and that give back to the community and, and learn the intangibles of being a good person, not just a good hockey player or a good sportsman, right? So Yeah, of course. And I like what you said about the game being in a good place and and also referring to the fact that Europeans and Russian players dealt with a lot of crap when they, you know, started mm-hmm. making their way to to the North American game. And you mentioned, Absolutely. of course, Don Cherry, who was, you know, the most outsp- outspoken of of all of all the bigots in hockey. He was uh, he's definitely the most outspoken and the most listened to. Um, right. But then on the other side of the coin, you had guys like Herb Brooks and and guys who were pioneers of the coaching game who realized, hey. You know, we got to we got to take the best part of the European game and apply it over here. And eventually Absolutely. over time now we, we've got this really, really fast game, like you said, with high skill, um, yeah. you know, high thinking. Uh, and, and the game is probably better than it's ever been. 100 percent. And I think when you have kids, you realize, do you want to put them through the rock and sock them? part of hockey or yeah. you want to put them in, the, in, the, in that part and uh, and it's an easy decision like there's not uh, um, you know I want my kid to be um, you know rough and tough and play aggressive and it, you know I always uh, you, I was watching tennis you know all through this COVID and there was talking about some of the players are playing aggressively you mm-hmm. know and they're on the other side of the net and that's just saying that they're aggressive they go to the net they take chances right yeah and so sometimes we we forget that you know being aggressive doesn't mean you have to put somebody through the boards or that's right punch them in the head the aggressive needs mean shows com- compete level and mm-hmm. and even like you know uh you have a podcast i have a hockey program I mean, we want to be competitive we want to go every time yeah when you have a podcast every time that i'm out there with the kids, I want to be able to give them good value of service, of teaching, and just be out there and give everything I have and just not worried about making videos all the time, but just 
you know, be involved in their development and, and have fun with it and be present. And that, that's aggressive. And that's, that's yeah. what parents want. They, they, they love that. And, and that's where I think, you know, where, you know, I have a pretty good respect level in our community is that I don't just go teach and, you know, I made X amount of money here. And, you know, now next session, when's that? It's like every session I do, I know it's only an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And I want kids to walk away. Like that was not only good on the ice, but coach Damp, he was, funny and he was giving us good points telling us to be good people um and that's that's what it's all about right yeah and that's beautiful man players. that's absolutely beautiful that's exactly we need so many more of you in the hockey world and um i'd like to get back to talking a, bit, a little bit more about your actual um hockey sure. career so you um went to concordia tell me about your experience there and did you enjoy playing in the cis yeah, it was uh, ACAC back then. So okay. Concordia was same same as Saint Nate. Uh, uh, who else was there? Red Deer College mm-hmm. was in there. Camrose, uh, 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 Augustana, I think. Believe I believe the name. So there's six yeah. teams. Okay. And, how did you, how did you end up um, there? Well, I was playing my second year. Uh, uh, you know, it was almost like a time where that. Dampy probably would have quit hockey. Okay. And that was very, very close. It was kind of fork in the road. I played my 16-year-old year. I was assistant captain as junior B. That was a big step. And um, 17-year-old, I played for Fernie Ghostriders. And my next step was to play as an 18-year-old in the BCJ. And I had a bad knee. And when I went and tried out for uh, both Victoria Cougars of the WHL and Penticton Panthers, and I wasn't feeling very good. My left knee wasn't where it is um you know nowadays we have ultrasound and mri in the big city you can get right not right away but you you get better help and sports doctors and stuff and i was in a small town and and then um my uh i didn't get an opportunity to move up uh and that was really really kind of like a a a big barrier on the road yeah and uh and i play i go to my dad and i go i can't go to school because i can't play hockey um, my knee's not doing very well. So and he's like, well, okay, what are you going to do? And then the coach from Fernie goes, well, you, I, you're definitely going to have an opportunity to play here. You're, you played last year, you're going to play again. And so I'm like, all right. So I played and, and I had surgery in October, I believe. And I sat out about two months. I came back just before Christmas and slowly got into the lineup in January. And then I, we, uh, the coach that we had previously he uh, he was let go, and then uh, another coach came in, and he was actually really good. Where he was very technical, he was he was an older coach. He had some experience of playing pro hockey himself, mm-hmm. and uh, he uh, he really liked that I had the intellect part of the game. He would always uh, he would always tell me that you know what I think you have uh, a lot of goods. Um, I want you to make you even a better player, and I'll teach you different things. And then I asked him, I walked into his room, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing next year. I can't play junior hockey because that's another year away from school. And he goes, well, I have a contact up in Concordia College, and it's a, it's not CIS, um, but would you want to go there? I'm like, sure. And I talked to my dad. So there was a tryout in May. I went there, and they liked me. And, and I'm so glad I played because uh, I, A, developed an opportunity after that to play pro hockey, and I can explain how that went. But... But what really happened was it really, you know, moving away, away from my parents, living in the dorm. I became popular with the dorm mates. I became popular with uh, the hockey teammates and I became popular with the friends that I made. And 
the confidence and my real personality started to shine and I got out of that box that I was in and and um, Bill LaForge, who's part of the, I believe, the Seattle Thunderbirds now, he's director of scouting. His his older dad, his, sorry, his dad, uh, Bill, uh, Bill LaForge Sr., he came and watched a few games. He's like, you shouldn't be playing here. You should be playing junior A hockey. I'm like, that's not going to happen. And he goes, well, I feel that you can play pro hockey in the States. And he's the one that supported me and kind of directed me down to play in the States. And I'm, I'm so glad that I chose Concordia as a, an option uh, or else I don't know what I would have done hockey wise. And, and the following year I was playing pro hockey at the age of 20. So I love hearing a story where it just takes one guy, you know, to believe yeah. in you and uh, to show that he cares. And, and you, you responded to that, which is great. Yeah. Like it wasn't easy because having an East Indian parent, they're like, how do we believe him? What if he's just in it for money? You know, yeah. everything like of all these, uh, 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 thoughts come like you know who is he what is he what's he in it for and then he talked to my dad and, and my parents did they're like you know we put you in hockey we know you're not a bad player and and uh they knew my goals were to play as high as i could and not not just in the nhl but as high as i could so as far as i can make it and uh, uh when he talked to my parents and and obviously when he met me and bill report senior and he was he was in he was like, I'm going to make you into a player. And you're going to have a chance of playing the, I hope to make, play in the National Hockey League. And I thought to myself, really? You know, like, I don't see, like, I didn't, I didn't want to step in my way, but I was like, I, I just play Concordia hockey, which is, you know, respectful, but like not, not NHL. Like, that's not a pathway you have for the NHL. But he just told me, you got to keep working hard and, and keep going strong. And, and then I had some opportunities. So. Yeah. So tell me about that first opportunity to play pro hockey. It was great. Like, well, I ended up in Las Vegas for a training camp, and I ended up second in scoring. Um, scored five goals, I still remember, and uh, and I remember in awe with you know how fast the game was. And here I was in Concordia, where you know you didn't play a lot of games. You practiced a lot, but you didn't play a right. lot of games. You, you didn't have the quality of you know, caliber players as what at the camp. And I just, I don't know, something just clicked in. I just kind of. You know, I, that's where I think, you know, I love the love to hug the game now is IQ. I, yeah. I can read the play. I can, I just felt confident out there. And I, uh, like I said, I scored five goals. And I remember I was uh, uh, second in uh, inner squad scoring. And uh, when the exit meeting happened, when they said, okay, we're going to send you down to Toledo, but we're going to look at you, how you're playing during the season to call you up. And uh, Bob Strum, actually Bob Strum called me about a couple of months ago after I won the award, and he was a general manager then. And Strummer said to me, he goes, you know, Dampy, I know you play college hockey, and I know you didn't play NCAA, and I know you didn't play WHL, or I know you didn't play BC Junior or Alberta Junior Hockey, but I can see you having an opportunity playing in the NHL. And and then I remember my eyebrows hit my top of my forehead. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And like I'm I just new to everything, and yeah. and just for him to say that, that ignited a different gear in me. It's like it carved another path in my brainwave. Thinking, you know what? I know he just, I know he said that, and it's the way he said that. I go now. It's time for me to, you know, try to work towards that goal. It doesn't matter if it's it comes to fruition or not, but I'm just going to work my butt off to get there. So. Yeah, of course. And the the thinking part of the game is is so important. And 
if you were already at that level and thinking the game at that speed, then obviously your physical attributes were just, uh, you know, icing on the cake. I mean, you're not a small guy. I, I can see that you, uh, you're a pretty big guy and you were able to uh, have a lot of success. So uh, let's talk about your successes a little bit. I mean, you managed to play seven years of pro hockey and you, you averaged over a point a game in your career. So you were putting up good numbers and, you know, you were, you were playing the physical style and you were doing all the intangibles, all the little things, it seems. So at that point when you were having the, that success in the, uh, in the WCHL and IHL, were you getting any attention from, from the big clubs? Well, we, I remember through my agent. Uh, I remember uh, I went and tried out when I was 23 with uh, Hamilton Bulldogs. It was, mm-hmm. uh, so they signed me to a two-way contract, and, uh, and they told me that uh, if I did well my 23rd year, uh, when I was 23, so my, when I was 23, if I led my league in scoring and my coach gave me good reviews of being a good leader, then I would have a chance to try out for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And right. that's where Bob Strum and some of the uh, the uh, brass from Hamilton was going because that was the, there was their inaugural season then. And then I was like, oh, wow. And I was in the front page of, uh, well, the sports page, I believe. I don't, want, I don't want to say the front page. I don't want to, I, I can't confirm that. But it was in the, it was in the, uh, in the Tacoma Tribune, which was the major paper saying Dampy Brewer, may get an opportunity with Columbus and I remember keeping that uh, clipping actually it was one of the fans that kept that clipping and gave it to me and I held on to it and I believe my parents have it somewhere but uh, yeah it was nice to have your name in the same article sentence yeah, as course. the Columbus Blue Jackets and uh, and um, yeah it, it didn't come to uh, you know I had a bad knee again I, it, it, until I tore my ACL playing ball hockey in 2006 my left okay. knee I tore both the I, I tore ACL in my right and left knee, but my left knee I tore in 2006. Uh, I got surgery 2007, I believe. And nope, yeah, and uh, 2007. And I asked the orthopedic surgeon, can you look at the left side outside of my knee? It's killing me right in here. Mm-hmm. It's been hurting hurting since I was 17 years old. He goes, that many years? Wow. And, you're st- yeah. and I'm like, yeah. He goes, all right. So when I got out of surgery, he goes to me, what was going on with your knee? And this is the same surgeon that did my right knee. And, and, uh, and he goes to me, uh, uh, that knee was not very good. How did you play hockey? I'm like, what do you mean? He was like, the, where I cleaned up the inside of your knee. You have calcium deposits. You have like so much, like en- enough damage to it where I vacuumed everything out. It was like a, a gravel pit in there. He goes, I don't even know how you had a hockey stance. Wow. Well, I go... And he goes to me, well, I go, my shoes, if you look at my shoes, I have an instep just because if I step straight, it would hurt. Right. And I go, when I would bend down, and I'm doing it right now as yeah. we speak, if I get into a hockey position, that would hurt. So I'd have to turn my ankle outwards to alleviate the pain. I go, I, I put ice on it. I put this on it. I did physio. Uh, I had two MRIs on it. Nothing caught it. And, he's, and he was so ticked off. He was swearing and throwing the F-bomb around. And he's yeah. like, I can't believe it. He goes, you would have been... You would have been three times faster if that was the case. He goes, I, I can't even believe you played hockey with that knee. Ouch. And he goes, and he goes, it's not the it's not ligament damage. He goes, it wasn't that you cracked something. It just where you bend your knee, it was digging in, 
and there was so much calcium. It was like rocks in there, and mm-hmm. and it's like, and he goes, it's he he was just surprised that I played ball hockey. First of all, ice hockey and ball hockey on that knee, and uh, and soon as he cleaned it out, um, you know, when I did therapy, I was like, holy crap, I can feel a difference right off the bat. So, wow. um, and that's why I couldn't try out for Columbus is because the knee was paining. I was working so hard off the off season, running, doing jumping exercises that. I knew that if I went there, I can only last a couple of days. And um, I thought I did a cortisone shot when I played for uh, when I tried it for Hamilton, and that started wearing off after three days. It was supposed to last for about two weeks, mm-hmm. and uh, after three days, it was basically on, and I was in pain. So, um, and then also they also told me too that they have a lot of players, you know, being in the first year of hockey operations that my name wasn't the highest on the list right so, right well it, so. off, it obviously must make you wonder where you could have been because you like i said you put up great numbers and uh played the whole time with a bum knee um tell me mm-hmm. about your taylor cup championship in 1999 well it was awesome i i think that was great uh it was my second year with tacoma um my first year uh, was toledo i ended up in nashville and san antonio so uh, with san antonio we just missed out making the playoffs so Going to Tacoma, John Oliver was a coach, and he was a great coach. Uh, kept things simple. Kept things. Uh, he wanted good players that can learn rather than just having superstars. Mm-hmm. And our first year, we went and lost in six games to San Diego. And my and the coach, when we ended up losing, coach goes, "Guaranteed, next year we're gonna win it." Yeah. He goes, "Trust me," and he goes, "We're gonna win it because we're." They were doing exactly what we wanted to do, and exactly what happened next year, we beat them them in six games. Um, the best part about it is anytime you win a championship, you like to win it in front of fans. And mm-hmm. um, we got the opportunity to do that, um, especially Tacoma Sabercats took over uh, after the Tacoma Rockets uh, left the city. And um, and a lot of the fans were there. And uh, it was great. It was only our second year, like I said. And uh, I remember scoring. I was 2-2. Uh, I got a puck from behind the net. and It was rolling and I ended up scoring in the net. Uh, from a pass, it was just a rolling puck, and mm-hmm. and, and we were up five two. And one of the one of the I think it was Kevin Smith, uh, Ryan Smith's brother from the Edmonton Oilers. Yep. He goes to me, damn, hey damps, and he was a big fan of mine, and uh, we still talk to this day. And he goes, you know what? I think you might have the, the game winning goal here, you know, you yeah. know. And he go and he looks at me because everybody called me in 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 respect, brown guy, like hey yeah. brown guy, you might you you might have the game winning goal here. And I'm like, oh, I didn't think about that because, you know, it's the third goal. We're up 5-2. Yeah. And things things were looking pretty good and we're playing solid defense. So we were, it was, there was no chance of us losing. And then with a minute and a half left or something, uh, one of their players scored. And I'm like, oh. Oh, no. And, but, you know, at the end, uh, <laughs> it, it was still great. It was, uh, we had a great group of guys. And, I and uh, you know, John Oliver just put a great team together. Um, he just, uh, you know taught the right things we we had great leadership like i said kevin smith was a great leader uh scott boston scott drevich the two uh, defensemen that we had that brett duncan there were still remember those guys names uh jamie butt was a great player for us playing a role player and and we had uh, trevor ronick on our team uh tim lovell both played ncaa together and they were like we just had a great not just superstars on the team we just had a good smart team and uh you know, and um, it was a great time, and not only for us, but for the city and the fans that uh, came out to support us. So, was that the highlight of your playing career that season with Tacoma? I think so. I think it was that. Uh, I think anytime you get a chance to play hockey and get paid is always a highlight. But yeah. uh, 
I think another, I think highlights for me was just you know one of the small pieces was I was named most popular player every year with Tacoma. Yeah, you, and I, I read that. And I wasn't a fighter, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't a guy that goes out there, you know, fighting and have this this elaborate uh, personality that everybody's in, uh, gravitating towards. It was more like giving back to the fans and you know signing autographs. And I think when you could talk about highlight, I think. I was 21 years old. I remember this, and I got to go to the uh, Seattle General Hospital, and got to go to the cancer ward to talk to kids. And I was one of seven people that went there, and I was the youngest guy there. I was 21, and everybody else was 27 or higher. Right. And I look, I looked around, and I'm like, I'm the youngest guy here by far, right? Mm-hmm. And even though, and uh, I go to the the general manager, or I can't remember, it was somebody because it was a cancer ward. It wasn't. You know, signing autographs at the uh, at the at the mall or anything. It was it was a very serious visit, and and I go, oh, I'm the youngest guy here, and they're like, yeah, because we feel you're very mature and you have that personality to be here, right? This mm-hmm. is not a, a, a like a, an event or an uh, appearance where it's all fun, fun and games, and and I think that was a big impact on my personality. Is that wow, like I got chosen to do this because they feel I have that this. The mindset to do this right so um you can win a championship and raise the trophy above your head and and uh, fans cheer you on and and then you got an opportunity of you know go, going to talk to these cancer kids with cancer that are terminally ill that might pass away in a month or three months or four months or a year and and be able to be able to interact with them i think uh, i don't know which one is greater right so well that's a great compliment to you and um Amazing that you uh, was that something that you always had in you, just wanting to give back, or is it something that you learned from your parents, or how did that become such a so important to you? It's funny that, that question was asked, not or that conversation was brought up uh, when I was on that trip to Canmore with uh, my buddies Harmon and Sandy, and they're uh, they're like, how did this like when, when did you have the mentality when you're when you're done playing hockey? I'm like, no, when I was 12 years old. Wow. I was my son's age. Like, really? I'm like, yeah. I go, I just wanted to, I was a skinny kid that got made fun of. And, you know, when you talk about racial discriminations, I, at three different occasions in Sparwida, I think I was my son's age, 12, a little younger, maybe tw- three times it happened. A car is pulled up and just yelling out racial slurs to mm-hmm. me and scaring the crap out of me. And, and I would just kind of put my head down. And I remember I was going to go play tennis one time and just swearing at me and all that. And I think... When I was 12, I was in grade seven. I still remember I was going to go play uh, tennis with my buddy Lee. And I was going on the way, and, and we only had one tennis court in that area. It wasn't like there was a bunch of them. So they were yelling and screaming, calling me every name in the book, telling me to go back home, tell my smell and all that. And I just took it. And uh, I remember dro- uh, riding my bike. I was kind of in tears because there was four of them in a car, and they're all bigger than me. And I said to me to myself then, I think that I remember I had my blue 10 speed and I remember going there going, I'm not going to bully anybody. I'm not going to, when I get older, I want to get big and strong. I want to have a physique that people appreciate, but I'm going to help people. I want to be able to be there for people and I want to be able to be there for a community and other people for hockey. And I think that's when the switch went on and I didn't realize the switch went on right away then, um, till as I got a little bit older and, but it was always been in my mindset to help, to help, to help. And my son's name is Seba and he's 12 and that means to help. And, um, you know, um, unconditionally, my daughter's name is Sachi is to be truthful. So truthful help. Uh, we named our kids for a reason for that. And, and, um, you know, I think that's when it all started and, uh, and started 
kind of building up like a snowball as I got to this age. That's incredible. And a very important message I think you said there is that, you know, young people that are listening or that, that listen to you in general, they, it's, I'm like, I'm a, I teach junior high and I teach secondary school and these attributes in people are very easy to spot early on. Um, you can mm. see a 10 year old kid who's one who's, who wants to help, um, who, who wants to help out their classmates, uh, who's always willing to, you know, as soon as somebody needs something, they're there. So right. I think it's important that you let people, young people know that, you know, what they're doing right now is just as equally as important as what they're going to do as adults. And, you know, they do have a very big influence on the, on the people around them, even at a young age. Yeah, the sparks sometimes happens at an age where you don't even know. Uh -huh. um, sometimes you do. And like I said, I was skinny and I always want to be muscular. And I wanted, you know, not, not, not to show off, but I wanted to show myself because my parents used to bug me like, you're so skinny. I'm like, you feed me, right? <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, let's talk about metabolism. Like, do you know what that <laughs> is, right? They'd be like, your brother eats so quick and you eat so slow. You're like a goat and, you know, and, yeah. and when you're, and, and then on, on a, like almost like a serious note, and I laugh about it now because yeah. I'm, you know, I, I look the way I do and I've, I've done what I've done is my, my parents were great in some realms and some realms they were like making fun of me. And then yeah. when your parents, like I can, I can't even, I, I joke around with my kid and he knows it's a joke, but if I were to be like, Oh, you're like my son's skinny. He's five, six and a half almost. He's tall. My wife's tall. I know he's not going to put on muscle. He's not thick, but he's uh, very athletic and very agile. And, and if I were to make fun of him and I remember and my dad was, immigrant dad and he was more you know cutthroat and if i were if if i were to be like hey say uh, you're like this that i would break him right he'd be mm -hmm. like ah uh, he'd, he'd be in tears right and uh but uh yeah no i just kind of took it and from my parents i kind of shook my head a few times like i'm not gonna do that to my mm -hmm. kid right yeah. when i get older and and uh you know and, and it's crazy because your mom my mom was doing it a little bit more than i thought she was right she'd be like look at this and make fun like you're not eating properly you eat too slow he's already done and i'm like <laughs> and now you read up on any articles like even when i was younger and i'd be like mom see this article says if you eat proper like slow or in even pace it's better for your body right yeah and she's like oh i don't know so everything they were t making fun of me all, all came out to be like what i was doing was better right, right. so yeah. and it motivated and they, you yeah, and it was just putting my brother against me, like, yeah. oh, he's going to be bigger than you. He's going to be stronger than you. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be able to do that. And I'm like, sure, I don't care. Like, I'll, I'm going to live my own life. So I think those experiences as well, your parents are your sometimes your biggest supporters. And sometimes, you know, we can, you know, for me, I'm being very directly honest. And uh, even if my mom and dad were to listen to the podcast, they, and I've already, everything that I've said here, they've already heard about. And they've already, I've already had a conversation about is that I told them, I was like, uh, yeah, this is what you guys did say to me, and and uh, that ignited something in me, right? Yeah. And to go to go the opposite way, not to, to follow what you guys were doing, and especially it was, especially when your mother is supposed to nurture you, when she would make those comments, I just and I and I got to the point where I was like, maybe I was, maybe I had the maturity, I just shake my head, I'm like yeah, whatever, right? So, and what was the response to that? Were they like, wow, we we were doing that on purpose the whole time? Are they really even aware of it? it's the best as is when you go to murder trial and they're like, I have no recollection. Right. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm great. like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, there's, you know, and, uh, so I laugh about it now because you know what negative or positive, it made me the person that I am. And, of course. and, uh, at, uh, you know, they were, 
you know, like I said, I learned from that. I don't make fun of my kids. Like my son will be eating. I'm like, you're not going to eat that. You can only eat one hot dog. He's like, I'm full. And he makes a seven different excuses. I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> good luck. Good luck beating me in hockey now. And he'll be like, wow, whatever, whatever. And yeah. uh, so, but you know, you have some fun with it. And, uh, of course. Uh, and uh, yeah, and you learn from your past, and you're like, you know what? Just be positive and just be supportive, right? Right. So, Dampy, there comes a time in everyone's playing career where you have to start thinking about uh, hanging them up. So, how and when did you uh, decide to um, to stop playing hockey? Well, uh, so when my fifth year in Tacoma, I knew it was going to be my last year, and uh, I remember, I can't remember if uh, we had, we were playing in the playoffs, we ended up. I can't remember. And, uh, I can't remember. I remember Idaho because I went back, but I remember Tacoma. We got the news that year that Tacoma would no longer carry forward in the West Coast Hockey League. That mm-hmm. team's going to be done, and uh, and that's where I was like, oh, that's this is perfect ending for me. I played five years, uh, had a great career here. Um, I already had uh, a girl in mind uh, that I was looking in the future to starting my life with. Yeah. She came. She came down to Tacoma. Uh, she came a few times to watch me play to understand my love of hockey. So I got. To, she got to spend a lot of time actually there with me and uh, to see the game. Uh, she sees. She seen me get my orbital bone broken as well, and uh, she had to take care of me. She had a twenty-minute surgery just to pop it out. And oh, that could have been. That could not have been pretty. Yeah, and I got to, I get she got to see everything. She got to meet the fans. She got to see like people see people were wearing my jersey and yeah. uh, the admiration that. So she got to see that. So I'm like, this is a girl I'm most likely gonna marry. So she's seeing everything. Um, this is a good time for me to shut it down. Yeah. So I remember, I remember it took me a hard time to take off the skates and hang them up. And uh, and then John Oliver ended up in Idaho, and we played against him for two years. And then I was done. I came back in May. Um, got promised in October to uh, my wife. And it was kind of odd because I wasn't getting, I didn't work hard, I didn't work out as much that year because I was like, I'm not going back. Right. Um, I was in October. I'm in Calgary, not in Tacoma or playing or no trial camps. Um, and then I get a call. I think it was end of November. I was playing men's league hockey with a bunch of younger guys. You know, I was, I was only 26 at the point. Mm-hmm. They're like 22, 21. And and they're like, hey, Damps, you got to lead the league in scoring. You get 250 bucks. I'm like, done. Let's try it, right? So, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then um, the season was ending in like end of uh, December. And uh, I was leading the league in scoring. And, uh, and you know, I was fresh off of hockey. So, you know, and some of these players were a little bit older. And uh, in December, I get a phone call from John. He's like, I need you to come back to come play in Boise, Idaho. I know you always wanted to play here. I'm here. I'll start paying you from December 1st. You can come in January whenever you need to. And I want you to win another championship. And that's what got me to go back and play from December, or from January to, uh, I think it was end of April. Mm-hmm. And uh, ended up playing in Boise. And uh, we ended up losing in six games to Fresno. Um, had a good uh, good run with the Boise, Idaho Steelheads. Um, you know, got to stay with my previous roommate, Corey Morgan and AJ Bag. They, they both became firefighters. And, and uh, we had a great great uh great time in the condos together just hanging out and um and good friendship there and and and, and again playing in boise the fans were great they were really receptive to me um they uh it was great i ended up scoring a hat trick in the first period against alaska and and it was great to to see that those fans uh support me on that and you know i played against them for five years so 
it was great. It was actually a great send off. And uh, unfortunately we couldn't go further on in the playoffs and were win it. And, uh, and that's when I knew I was like, yeah, this is, this is done for me. And, uh, and I got married, uh, the, the August of that year in 2003 and started my life in Calgary. And I was happy to play those seven years. And I had an opportunity to play in Europe for three years or sign a contract with the team. I had another agent that was helping me out and I'm like, yeah, no, this is good. Um, and also I was playing ball hockey in between seasons. So I in, in just started enjoying that game. I'm like, you know what, I'll, that'll fill the void in. And that's where I got involved in ball hockey. Cool. Well, that's uh, something we're going to get into here in a minute. So you just finished your career. You start a family in Calgary. Uh, what was on the horizon for you at that time? Did you always know that you were going to get involved in, uh, in coaching or some type of player development? Well, the thing is like after hockey, I got an opportunity of possibly being an assistant coach with Sate Trojans. We're ACAC and they were, uh, they had a great program, right? So, mm-hmm. and I just, um, uh, uh, I, I just wanted to get away from hockey, right? Yeah. Um, there's a time, there's, I put a lot of, what a lot of people didn't realize is that I, I put a lot of effort on training so that when I went into training camp or went into play or tried out that I didn't look like a normal person, that I looked fit, I looked healthy, and I looked somebody like that wants that opportunity to play. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and, and for me personally, I love training. It became part of my life, still part of my life. I actually... I've, I almost uh, forgot what time it was. I was doing push-ups up the stairs today. Mm-hmm. Uh, from, and I looked, I'm like, oh, I got some time. So I put a quick workout in. So I love training. I love that. It made me, It became part of me because I was so skinny and people would make fun of me. And uh, so I uh, – and, and once hockey was done, I just wanted to get away from that. I, I wanted to keep working out, but I didn't want to work out for hockey, right? right. Just kind of mm-hmm. – just for myself and just to get away. And uh, so I stepped away and uh, from 2003 – uh, I started playing ball hockey that year that I quit uh, in a Christmas tournament. I tore my ACL in my right knee. Oh. So I uh, I tore my ACL and then it took till 2005 to to get it repaired and get get a uh, surgery and get rehabbed. And then I tore my left ACL in 2006. And then it wasn't until 2007 that I was back playing. Uh, and then uh, 2008, I had my son in February, and that's uh, that's when I kind of. You know, I didn't play any ice hockey from basically 2003 to 2008, maybe even longer than that. I d- now I realize it probably was six years I didn't regularly put on the skates. Maybe I played an odd game here and there for men's league, but mm-hmm. nothing major, uh, to be honest with you. I played a very few games, uh, probably didn't even use my skates or my equipment. And uh, and then I got into heavily into ball hockey and uh started kind of that side of things where it filled the void where we were competitive in Calgary, competitive in Alberta, and then and started to com- compete across Canada uh, with our team. And and then it became like ice hockey where, you know, I got to know the levels and, and then found out about Team India and the international, you know, the program and you know, started kind of spearheading that and helping out with that and became the face for that. So it, it started filling the void there. And, and I started bringing in practices in Calgary and you know, trying to get better and try to try to be better hockey players and ball hockey players, and uh, you know, ha- had some challenges on the way, but uh, it, you know, became and all, it all helped with what I'm doing with Upna Hockey of dealing with personalities and and certain strategies and how to coach. So uh, fast, you know, once my once my kids were born, then hockey teaching hockey became part of me. Right, and my my future. Let's get into that a little bit more about your the inline hockey. Um, I know that my 
from my experiences over here in Asia that the hockey world is the hockey world. It doesn't matter what form of hockey, really. We've got inline, we've got ball hockey, um, mm-hmm. and, and ice hockey, and the field hockey. And so your involvement with hockey, uh, how did that start? And, and, you know, you breeze by it like, you know, the, the Indian hockey team. Hearing stories about, um, you know, hockey being played in places like India, a lot of people don't even know this is happening. So how big is it? How did it start for you? And um, what has happened since you got involved? Well, I think it like for, for ball hockey, um, I think uh, there was a gentleman out of Calgary. He moved to Ontario and, and uh, there was an Indo-Pakistani team that represented in India and Pakistan in 2003 in the international uh, ISBHF, International Street Ball Hockey uh, Championships. And that gentleman played against me, I believe. I forgot his name is Brian, I believe. And Brian uh, basically said, "Hey, uh, to to the head coach of and the and the organizer for Team India, you got to watch. You got to you got to hear about this Dampy kid up in in uh, Calgary. He's really good and stuff." And uh, and that's when I actually ended up tearing my ACL. I was playing in a gym league uh, that was pretty competitive and uh, and <clears throat> tore it then. But uh, I I got in touch with Rambir and found out about the program, and I loved it. And some people were like, "Oh, Team India!" Like, couldn't they? They've made comments, negative comments about it, because they couldn't correlate India and hockey together, like right. ball hockey, yeah, or exactly. ice hockey, right? Mm-hmm. So they were like a lot of guys, like Team India, like oh, ha ha ha. I'm like, let me hear this out, right? And then. Uh, yeah, then became kind of like uh, in 2005, my brother, because the tur- tournament's every odd year. My brother and two other gentlemen from uh, Calgary ended up representing uh, Team India, and, and they were like, this is awesome. They finished sixth place. And 2007, I couldn't go again, but I helped behind the scenes. I was I put together the email to send out to the players. I, uh, I did some work behind the scenes to help and recruit. So we had about 12 or 13 players from Calgary that represented Team India, and they finished seventh. And then in 2009, we had a we had a tryout camp in 2008 in in Surrey, BC. Uh, we had players from Toronto come there, Edmonton, Calgary, uh, Vancouver, obviously. And we had uh, we we added like nine players that had good hockey background. That was my first year, and we ended up uh, uh, organizing the team very well in 2009. And, and Team India went all the way to the finals, and we lost in overtime against the host Czech team. And that's when people started going, wow, Team India is here. And, and that's 2009. Mm-hmm. And even like the fans were like lined up and asking for autographs. They're like, wow, you guys are a good team. And all the other teams in the uh, the tournament were, were um, they thought we'd just be middle of the pack. But And that's where I think for me another, you know, piece to me started to grow is that hey let's try to do this again right mm-hmm. let's get more 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 kids that are maybe not prevalent in ice hockey play ball hockey and, and i know our communities in toronto and vancouver especially they love their ball hockey and edmonton too they have a lot of east indians that play and um you know we you know to play at the highest level you need you need the skill set and uh, the fitness to play you can't just be a good player you just got to have a lot of intangibles and that's where my pro hockey experience helped uh, not only by uh, you know, playing, but teaching. And I, I wore a lot of different hats. I was a, a player, a captain, or an organizer, a mentor. Um, I ran the practices, right? The coach would be like, ah, you know how to do it. So, and the respect level that I received from my teammates was, was awesome. And, uh, and you know, I, I've set up itineraries and some rules and regulations of how to be on the team. Um, so, you know, exactly what happens in ice hockey, right? Yeah. So, and I think that was a great taste for a lot of these players to uh, 
to see that. And when we ended up playing in the finals, there was 9,000 fans uh, in the arena uh, during the finals. Mm -hmm. And it was loud and and the European atmosphere. And a lot of these players have never played in a full arena or over 100 people, right? So they're like, damn. I'm like, yeah, I played in this atmosphere Mm -hmm. before, but it's called ice hockey. But this is crazy for ball hockey. And it was a great, unique experience. And for me, just seeing the kids, when I say kids, I was, I was 34. And, uh, when I started playing in the international level, I just love to see these uh, guys faces when they, they were playing in front of these crowds and, and at that level. And, uh, and then ball hockey became a big piece of me, uh, you know, helping not only in, you know, with team India, but our Calgary teams our, our provincial teams in Alberta. So, uh, once again, giving back, coaching, mentoring became a big piece. So, it's uh, people don't realize how important in uh, inline hockey is, especially in Asia, where ice time is really hard to come by, and the availability yeah. of, of ice in general is really difficult. So to introduce people to hockey in that way, you know, often uh, helps build the ice hockey community in these places as well. And um, before we move on from inline hockey, I, I'd love to for you to tell me a little bit about the Pama Golden Knights uh, and and a little bit about that program because they're the reason why we're talking today. Yeah, like uh, Pablo Navarro uh, reached out to me and he's like, uh, love to partner up with you guys. Uh, I love what you guys doing. Like Pablo, I got to give him credit. He didn't just look at uh, maybe a post or two and and wanted a call. He he uh, investigated, if you will, or he mm-hmm. educated what we were did doing. Did his research. Yeah, did his research. It was uh, you know, uh, and you can just tell from my initial conversation with him, and and he was like, I want to help you guys at a different level, you know, and that's and that's very complimentative because uh, you know we're doing well here in Canada, and I've been to India and and was. You know, I was here when the girls' ice hockey team from India came down. So I'm pretty sure he looked at all of our posts and all of our social media exposure to that. And and he's like, I want to join in. And uh, sorry, I want you guys to join, partner with you guys and help you guys out. And, and then he talked about, you know, doing free camps in South America and, you know, different parts of the world and, you know, talking to India. And I'm like, and we had some common people that we have, we got to know and, and I'm like, I like this guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, he's like, well, South America, there's hockey in this country and that country. And, and I was I was blown away. Like, he's, he's talking about ice hockey in these countries. And I'm like, whoa. And then he's talking about inline. And he knows my experience in ball hockey as well. And then he goes, do you play inline hockey? I go, I play roller hockey. I, uh, I used to have a, a camp for two years in Sparwood, right? So I, I used to have a program, sorry, that I would um, help out with. And, uh, or it was my program, but... You know, the city, the town asked me to run it. So I, I, I enjoy playing roller hockey. So I played ice hockey. I play roller hockey. I'm really entrusted in uh, ball hockey. So uh, just hearing what he had to say and working together and, and growing the game in these Latin American countries, in South American countries and, and in Asia, it became a no-brainer to, uh, to listen to what he had to say and uh, to join well, it sounds like a great partnership, and although you know, I never had, I had didn't, I don't haven't had the opportunity to uh, to meet Pablo yet. He certainly has been nothing but kind and and friendly and supportive of uh, you know the 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 mission of of developing hockey and helping promote hockey around the world. So, just another guy who's doing great things out there to uh, to spread the joy of hockey. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, if you talk to him, he's full of energy. Yeah. He, the, the messages he sends on our chat groups are very, very uh, enthusiastic and they're very, very 
um, proper and um, and just shows his passion for the game. And so I, I love the fact that he's got that personality and it just rubs off on everybody. So. Yes, and thanks again, Pablo, for, uh, for helping set this up and Dom Brown. Speaking of Dom Brown, here's our newest sponsor, wheelhubasia.com. Wheelhub Asia is committed to building community and bringing accessibility to inline hockey players in Southeast Asia. They strive to be a catalyst for change with a collaborative approach that is focused on improving the level of inline hockey in the region through community-based initiatives. Wheelhub Asia stands for professionalism, integrity, and collaboration. For inline hockey players, by inline hockey players. For all your inline hockey needs, head to wheelhubasia.com. So finally, we're going to get to uh, the part where uh, this this uh, initiative is probably what uh, led you most to, to winning the 2020 Willie O'Ree Award, was uh, being the co-founder of APNA, APNA Hockey. Can you tell me how that started and uh, just uh, briefly touch on what you guys do? Yeah, uh, Lolly Tour started this program up in 2017. Um, I remember seeing his Instagram post. I'm, I, I have a real estate background, so I was on social media because of real estate. And I would always see these Instagram posts of players that he would showcase uh, and hockey-related that to our community. And I was like, That's, this is great. And I, uh, I just sent him a message on Instagram, uh, not, not anything to say, hey, I want to join or anything. And... Uh, he read the message, I guess. Uh, I texted him, rather. I, I did. I seen his number, and I texted him. And within about 30 seconds, he called me back, and he's like, uh, I know about you. I know you played <laughs> hockey, mm-hmm. and um, we got to join. So Calgary and Edmonton are uh, about two and a half hours away, and we, had, we ended up meeting in Red Deer for three hours. And we had some similar stories when it talked about racism in hockey and just diversity and uh, more, about, more about the discrimination and racial um, tensions that we felt, uh, experiences rather. And then, uh, and then you know, we shared some views and what, how we should take this uh, up in hockey to a different level. And, uh, and that's when it all started. And uh, what we do now is we, in our social media, we do showcase our male and female hockey players and or hockey personalities, broadcasters, uh, anybody that's involved in hockey at a decent, respectful level. Uh, we showcase them so people can see that there's uh, strides being made in our community um, from the Alberta Junior Hockey to BC Junior to, to college hockey to females playing in, in, in university hockey to professional hockey players to players that people in our community that are – you know, working in hockey in, in certain realms. Um, so we, we're recovering that. And uh, and also a voice for, you know, obviously racism in hockey and diversity in hockey. We want to be a voice for our community. And if we hear anything that we need to speak about, like in certain workshops or Zoom calls or conferences or anything that or certain uh, events, that we're there to do that. Uh, I do a lot of online development in Calgary. Um, so I'm on the ice with the kids a lot. Um, not only working on their on-ice skills, talk about the intangibles to hockey. Um, what else? Uh, we're doing uh, some initiatives with the NHL, with Rogers Communications, with Bauer to for equipment and certain um, uh, perks that the kids can have for Rogers uh, Communications. Um, partnering up with like Pro Hockey Life, with um, helping with discounts and sports equipment, and just uh, partnership there and. Uh, 
and mainly just honestly just being a, a face in our community to to help our youth in the game of hockey and sport in general too like i have a background in playing every sport so i, I love the fact when i hear kids playing sports but uh, yes the focus is on hockey and 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 then to to inspire our youth and to encourage our youth to be good people and uh, and the families moving in a positive direction so uh we try to hit a lot of different uh, areas and uh it's fun and uh it's well received, and uh, I'm glad that the NHL got to see that as well. And are you guys uh, doing anything with the NHL hockey diversity awareness as of right now? Uh, we're slowly trying to get in. Uh, we are, uh, you know, in in one aspect, they know what we're all about, right? Yeah. So uh, there, there has been a few. Uh, Lolly Tour has been part of a, a few. Uh, uh, calls and events. Um, there is another one coming up on December 10th that is going to talk about diversity in hockey. And uh, the NHL knows that. And uh, we we will be, uh, you know, there uh, whenever uh, an opportunity comes to go further with the NHL on that. So, and I think uh, right now we're going to keep doing what we're doing. And uh, the NHL has, uh, you know, targeted the uh, the BPOC community, the Black, Indigenous, uh, people of color for some of their initiatives that they've helped us with and uh, minority community. So they know that we have a good uh, respect level there. We They know that we have a good reach there. So um, and uh, slowly we'll continue to work with them to uh, continue uh, helping them out and helping our program out. That's awesome. I love to hear that. I mean, it's such a great initiative. I think, uh, you know, they'd be uh, silly not to have you on board at, at this point. So um, for those of you who don't know, Willie O'Ree was the first black player in the NHL. Um, and starting in the 2017-2018 season, uh, the NHL created the Willie O'Ree Award, which is presented annually to an individual who, through the game of hockey, has positively impacted his or her community, culture, or society. So to me, looking at this, there's nothing more special than seeing people give back to their communities in, in any positive way, shape, or form, whether it's through sport or not. Um, what you've been doing, uh, Dampy, is truly unique and inspirational to everyone who's had a chance to hear your story. What does winning this award mean to you? Well, I think it's, you know, I know I'm a recipient of the award. I think Apna Hockey is the real winner there. Mm-hmm. Um, not only Apna Hockey, you go further, it's uh, our South Asian community that you know, there was a voting system that was in place that uh, that allowed me to reach out to different people, not only across Canada, North America, and the world, like uh, my relatives in India. They all knew what I do and what Apna Hockey is all about. They follow us on social media. So it was a big win for our community that to have me as a representative to be uh, to be the winner. And Apna Hockey is the person, uh, you know, is, is who I uh, represent. And uh and it was a joint victory. I never say it's just mine. And uh, now it gives us a more of a voice, more of a platform to talk about the certain issues in sport and hockey uh, that are out there. Um, you know, having an NHL award is something that I never thought I would even have a chance of winning. You know, you want always as a kid, if you've always scored a, you know, a overtime goal in Game Seven on on the streets and uh, won a Stanley Cup, but uh, but never really thought about uh, winning award uh, that is rep- you know that was put up by the NHL for especially what, what the award is all about and uh, to win it in the honor of uh, Willie O'Ree. And, and I got to talk to him on, on a zoom call and uh, I got to ask him about his experiences and, and to have a word named after him uh, on behalf of him is, and have my name on that trophy. It's, it's, it's remarkable. And, uh, and I hope that uh, 
it encourages more people, not just in our South Asian community, but in all of our hockey communities to become a, a good leader, a good mentor, and um, a good positive role model for our youth going forward. That's great, Dampy. And I watched that interview with Willie O'Ree and uh, certainly so inspirational uh, seeing you guys and seeing what it's, what this award means and um, how it affects your community is truly remarkable. Um, so tell me, um, what has to be done immediately right now and what's your advice to, to people right now in the future, how we can end racism in hockey and, and do you think it's possible? Well, well, the ending racism in hockey is a mindset, right? It's mm-hmm. a learned behavior. Uh, you know, it's stereotypes like, oh, East Indians aren't good at hockey or South Asians are not good at hockey. Uh, at least we have still a current player right now, Jajar Kara, who's played yep. hockey, uh, uh, playing with the Oilers, and it's a Canadian team. He's playing alongside – he played alongside Connor McDavid for mm-hmm. a numerous amount of yep. games. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we had Robin Bawa that played uh, – and in the, uh, in the uh, 80s and 90s where, you know, guys like me looked up to him and, you know, are very admirable that he made it to the NHL. So how do you end racism? Um, it's just uh, you can be sensitive to certain topics or you can go about it the right way. If you go about it with uh, too much uh, emotion, uh, people turn the other way. But but it, it works both ways is that, uh, you know, it's, it's you got to know when's the right time to speak up if there's racial uh, t- you know, comments being made or racial situations that arise. Um, there is, you know, being being who I am, uh, knowing how many people I know, you know, already in this season, uh, and it's been a shortened season because of COVID, I've already heard about four or five different um, situations where racial discrimination was uh, prevalent in, in a, a player's hockey experience. Uh, I've heard about at least five ex- experiences from from players that don't play hockey anymore that stopped playing hockey because of racial discrimination and some of the situations they went through and so i think you know when it could be if you're a coach that is non-south asian or or or, or caucasian i think uh or a general manager or involved in a team somehow you you got to kind of you know make sure you know just have that mindset that every hockey's for everybody um and racism is slowly gonna kind of wean away if if we have that mindset but if your mindset doesn't matter who it is and to say that certain communities are not good at hockey you can be east indian you can be punjabi and you can be like oh no hockey's not good for east indians that you're being racial you're uh, you're being discriminatory towards your own culture right mm-hmm. so it's a mindset it's a definitely a mindset uh, and um, you know back then hockey in in in, in Canadian hockey was rough and tough, fellas Spacito, Bobby Clark, you know, rough and tough players. And, you know, you admire their game because it was a rough and tough game. But now the game is, you know, Mitch Marner, you're uh, Austin Matthews, uh, um, you know, Elias Pettersson. You know, you're looking at high IQ hockey players, right? So, uh, um, so the mindset changed in the way hockey is being played right now. The mindset has to change when it comes to other ethnic t- uh, players playing the game. That's great advice, and I couldn't agree more. And I'm so happy that you're out there spreading that message and I can uh, help in any way. So finally, Dampy, what's next for you? And how can people find out about Apna Hockey and uh, get in touch with you and find out about the programs? Yeah, well, one way to get in touch with me is uh, through Instagram, where we have Apna Hockey. Is, uh, we have a lot of followers right now, and 
can be reached through that. You can Google my name and and, and my Instagram handles, my personal one, and, and my Facebook and everything comes out. So a lot of people have been reaching out through social media platforms to talk to me. And then I've exchanged numbers, Instagram as well. Uh, a lot of people have reached out. We have a, me and Lali have a call tomorrow with a East Indian gentleman that's working with the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. Mm. And uh, he, want, he wants to have a conversation with us. So he reached, reached out to us through Instagram. So uh, Instagram, Facebook, in, uh, uh, LinkedIn, um, they're all uh, great platforms to reach out to us. Um, and I'm, I'm quick to give out the number if I feel that it's worth giving and uh and i've done that numerous times for families and new to hockey uh or just people that want training one-on-one training that are playing junior hockey so uh or anybody that wants to talk about hockey in general um uh, at certain levels so um and and, the, and we're going to continue to doing what we're doing right now is showcasing our players and you know being an advocate for racism and uh and diversity in hockey and uh we're going to be able to we have a few things in mind we're hoping to grow the game in uh, india the the especially the grassroots ball hockey program and hopefully we have some uh, movement there and uh, and yeah and continue to be good role models in our community and uh, yeah, develop those partnerships with different organizations just like pama golden knights uh, and one day i hope to uh, be in south america uh, you know running helping run a hockey camp with uh, players out of peru or argentina or wherever and uh, be able to share those experiences uh with with people so amazing stuff man uh, I, first of all um congratulations on all the successes you've had um you're certainly um you were the guy to win this award and and i'm so glad that you've been recognized for everything that you've done i wish you nothing but success in the future and folks uh if you uh if you want to get in touch with Dampy, please do. I've certainly enjoyed talking hockey with you. And, uh, you know, if we can get your message out there, I I think it's going to make the hockey world a better place. Appreciate that. And uh, to all the people that are listening, uh, keep listening to Chris's uh, podcast and tune in. And uh, you do a great job of asking all the questions and, uh, you know, uh, in a very relaxed environment. So I I, I truly enjoy being on here. Great. Thanks a lot, Dampy. That was Across the Pond. And that's a wrap. Thank you, thank you, thank you to our amazing sponsors, the China Hockey Group, AccessoryHouseGlobal.com, Yardley Brothers Beer, Wheel Hub Asia, The Big Bite Restaurant, Sunset Studio, and Print House Limited. And a giant thank you to my producer, Andy Zombathy, who makes us sound great week in and week out. And of course, Mr. Paul McLean, who makes everything happen here at the studio. Folks, check out our website at acrossthepondhk.com. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at acrossthepondhk.